Hello and welcome to another episode of Thorough Podcast. Today we are talking Venezuela coin. That's right, Tesla getting hacked. And finally, in our main topic, we are discussing Monroe, the sleeping giant. What is it all about? We discuss it today on Thriller Podcast. Welcome to Thriller with Car Gonzalez, broadcasting from Austin, Texas, via SoundCloud and supported by listeners like you. It's time for the news. 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 Thriller with Car Gonzalez. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Thriller Podcast. So first up, we got Tesla. Tesla's cloud hit by crypto mining malware attack. So electric vehicle maker Tesla has reportedly fallen victim to a cryptocurrency mining malware attack. On Tuesday, cybersecurity software firm Redlock reported that hackers had exploited an insecure Kubernetes console, which they used to access and siphon computer processing power from Tesla's cloud environment in order to mine cryptocurrencies. The team says it discovered and reported the vulnerability to Tesla several months ago. A Tesla spokesman spoke with Gizmodo, and they said, We maintain a bug bounty program to encourage this type of research, and we address this vulnerability within hours of learning about it. The impact seems to be limited to internally used engineering test cars only, and our initial investigation found no indication that customer privacy or vehicle safety or security was compromised in any way. Unlike previous crypto mining attacks, the hackers that targeted Tesla did not utilize a public mining pool. Instead, they installed mining pool software and obscured it behind Cloudflare, which allowed them to hide the IP address of their mining pool server, making detection of the mining more difficult. To further hide their actions, the hackers ensued that CPU usage remained low during the hack. It's pretty genius, actually. Uh, That's pretty crazy that they uh, got that far and... And what's even crazier is that the um, the firm reported that this happened months ago. So, yeah, that's kind of scary, too. Um, next up, we got uh, Venezuela. So everybody knows that Venezuela has released their own PetroCoin. So this is what everybody's talking about. So it seems the social media is abuzz since Tuesday. The initial sale of the forthcoming Venezuelan government-backed crypto country, the Petro, um, President Nicolas Maduro has claimed that the country has collected a whopping $735 million during the first day of its pre-sale for the new cryptocurrency. In spite of lack of proof, the claim came amid a splashy nationally televised broadcast where Maduro himself declared that the country has taken a giant step into the 21st century. Yeah, this is pretty crazy. Uh, They even had hashtags going around Twitter that said, All future con el petro basically means uh, to the future with Petro. Um, it's pretty nuts that they're actually, you know, going all, all, all forward with it. Um, there is some pushback, and mostly it's from the Maduro government. Um, according to Reuters, opposition parties are expected to boycott an upcoming presidential election in April, which they argue is rigged in Maduro's favor. And then they have the deputy, Rafael Guzman, called the cryptocurrency fraudulent. So there's a lot of um, kind of FUD being spread inside of the country. And then also local Bitcoiners also raise concerns. So in a post on a local Facebook group, uh, one commenter said he's really worried and he fears that the government will have the absolute power to manipulate and 
alterate the blockchain at will over Petro. So that is true whenever you have a uh, centralized cryptocurrency um, being pushed by the government. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that plans out. But $735 million is nothing to sneeze at. And then next we have the interesting thing coming out of Japan. So we all know that Japan got hacked recently on one of their exchanges. Well, seems there was some kind of glitch that caused a customer and allowed him to withdraw $20 trillion in crypto. Yeah, it sounds nuts. So a system error at a Japanese cryptocurrency exchange saw a user attempt to make off with a huge amount of Bitcoin. The ZAF exchange, operated by Osaka-based Tech Bureau Corp, saw the brief glitch last week, which enabled traders to make crypto purchases for free. As customers realized the situation, a number attempted to make the most of the 20-minute window for free coins. One, according to Ashai Shuban, even placed an order for Bitcoin worth $20 trillion, and then moving to quickly sell it again. So the firm later canceled the transactions and corrected the user's balances, but Reuters did suggest that the correction is still being negotiated with one of the seven users who attempted to transfer the free Bitcoin away from the Zap platform. Uh, the news comes when Japanese exchanges are already under pressure over technical standards. And yeah, the major hack that happened back in January. So pretty crazy. $20 trillion worth of Bitcoin. Ugh, he almost got away with it too. If it wasn't for those, for those pesky <laughs> surveyors. Okay, so it looks like lawmakers are renewing calls for U.S. to lead an all-out crypto innovation. So we all know about a week ago we had the SEC talking with the, um, I think it was the House of Congress or the House of the Senate or House of Representatives, one of those people. They were talking with them last week and they were discussing how they were trying to get America to lead the cryptocurrency innovation forward or at least the blockchain innovation forward. Well, today they did that again. So uh, Jared Paulus, uh, he's a Democrat from Colorado, and Tom Emmer, he's a Republican from Minnesota. Uh, they created a letter and they basically said the U.S. should be home to this innovation and should embrace these new technologies in order for these efforts to be successful. It is imperative that we adopt a deliberate, flexible, and unified approach to regulation. We encourage you to allow... Continue innovation in the market and devote more creative analysis into the ways cryptocurrency can be utilized. So it looks like here it's just, you know, coming from Congress, just writing a joint letter with the, with the different chairmen or talking to the chairmen. And it's, it's just, it's all circle jerk, honestly. <laughs> That's all it is. It's just a circle jerk. Um, but yeah, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to get the U.S. to lead in crypto innovation and hopefully we'll see what happens. Next up, we got Ripple Paper pledges new support for 40 billion XRP. So the startup that oversees development of the world's third most valuable cryptocurrency, XRP, is moving to upgrade the underlying technology on which it operates. Announcing Wednesday, San Francisco-based startup Ripple is releasing two new white papers for peer review. One describing XRP's consensus algorithm in a more formal way, and the other outlining a way to improve the diversity of connections of each node. The software uses run to relay and verify transactions on the network. Taken together, the moves show that Ripple, whose investors include banks, is ready and willing to invest in the core infrastructure supporting its cryptocurrency, which despite falling out of favor with the company at times. 
Yet, while XRP has become one of the most in-demand crypto assets, in some ways its development has lagged behind other more established offerings like Bitcoin and Ether. Indeed, Ripple CTO Stephen Thomas sought to portray the papers as a step towards a developing tighter relationship between the company's research arm and academia. In short, the startup wants to be easier for researchers to follow Ripple's technology so it's easier for them to contribute. In an interview, Thomas sought to stress how the papers open up the possibility of further building a network effect around the tech. This is the time we're releasing peer-reviewed academic papers. Obviously, it opens the door for future research. After this, I'll expect to hear much more about us interacting with academia. More broadly, the papers can be seen as perhaps the first attempt in some time for the company to refresh and improve documentation around the open source platform. So to me, this seems like they're taking a page out of Cardano's book, which is the right page to take. Um, but they are kind of a step behind. So it will still have to be remain what Ripple's developments, including these papers, are enough to, to ally criticisms of Ripple and its uh, hot, hot and off again code relationship with XRP. Um, we'll just have to wait and see how this is you know, going to affect everything. Um, uh, Thomas sees the papers as just another way for Ripple to respond to market needs, whether that's ensuring it's providing an alternative to SWIFT or that its cryptocurrency is secure. He's also saying that curbing centralization of validation is what they're working on next, even going as far as to argue that Ripple will far be more decentralized than Bitcoin in the future. And we've heard that too, coming direct, directly from their chief cryptographer um, in the past. So take a look at that old uh, Ripple episode that we did. I think it was probably back in January. We talked about that and how he said that they're bullish on decentralizing Ripple at some point. I don't see that happening, but you know that's not too bad. They also announced a new partnerships with five banking and money transfer institutions across four different countries today. Um, so that's probably good for the coin, but it still remains to be seen on the coin market cap whether it's going to actually pump the price of Ripple up. But they're, Ripple is one of those companies, they're suit and tie kind of company. They're following everything that they need to do, and now they're going with academia. They're getting more people on board. They're doing everything right. It's just the whole centralized token thing. It's kind of kind of got the best of them. But with that, let's go ahead and get into our interesting video of the day. Cars, interesting video of the day. So today's interesting video of the day comes from the Magical Crypto Friends. You guys know that uh, this show is pretty popular here on YouTube. Uh, surprisingly, it doesn't have a lot of views, but um, I think it's one of the best cryptocurrency podcasts slash video shows that's out right now. Um, they have a new episode up and take a peek at what they talk about. It's always hilarious. <laughs> Check it out. The secret at the round table was that Ron Paul is actually uh, Satoshi. Yeah, he signed yeah. all the he transactions. Signed, signed millions of transactions in like 10 seconds. It was, it was amazing. I'm deeply moved. It makes perfect sense. I don't know why we didn't think of it earlier. Well, I mean, I think we've just believed that Tone Vase is Satoshi for so long that, that this really, you know, this, this really came at it from a different angle and blew my mind. That's the only reason why he was here. Yeah, yeah. And that's why Tone has never come to the round table. 
No, I still believe Craig Wright is Satoshi. Well, I mean, I took a photo with, uh, with Craig Wright <laughs> as part of my decentralized Craig Wright's um, uh, persona and identity project. Um, and Craig Wright became a female who looked surprisingly like Elizabeth Stark. But it was not <laughs> Elizabeth Stark, it was Craig Wright. <laughs> Charlie, some people here are saying Litecoin's a scam. How do you respond to that? It is. It is. It is a scam. It's the biggest scam in the world. It's a scam where no one realizes it's a scam. It's that good. Oh, thank oh. you. Whitey, Whitey Cracker has given us Mexican white crackers. Nice. Okay, so I guess now we can start the show. <laughs> Simply to huddle. What's a young pony to do in a sea of shady ICOs? A lion's courage can light up even the darkness of shadow. Yeah, it's a great show. Like it, it really is. I love watching it. Um, I did, I can just hear them talk for hours, <laughs> just because it's they're just nerding out on uh, just topics about cryptocurrency. You guys should check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. But for now, let's go ahead and get into our coin talk segment. Oh yeah. It is time. Everything you have been waiting for. Coin talk, coin talk, coin talk. Oh, right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for coin talk. Another wonderful day in coin. Yeah, we lost some money today, but you know what? It's it's going to be all okay. All okay, I say. First up, before we do jump into that, I do want to thank one new Patreon, one new patron, that is Val M. Thank you so much for becoming another thriller producer. Uh, guys, I'm just, I'm just kind of, I'm just going crazy here. I'm just, I just can't believe how many people want to be thriller producers. This is awesome. Um, gosh, this is great. I never... I never initially thought that, you know, this podcast was going to lead to anywhere. I, I honestly, in the beginning, I just wanted to talk about crypto and I didn't have anybody else to talk to about. But um, having you guys all come aboard and, you know, everybody who's who's donated to Thriller Podcasts and, and now Val, she's a, a, a new Thriller producer. It's, man, it's it's awesome. So thank you so much, Val. I appreciate it. Um, if there's anything that you need, feel free to reach out to me via the Telegram or send me an email or whatever, however you want to reach me. Um, it doesn't matter. I will be at your beck and call because you are a thriller producer now and I work for you. Yeah. So it's awesome. I can't believe it. You guys are you guys are seriously changing my life every day that I see somebody become a patron. It just tells me that, you know, all this hard work is uh is, uh, is going towards something good, and um, I think we I think if we all come together and we can all you know move this this cryptocurrency movement, this blockchain movement, this technological movement that we're going through right now, it's all real, and uh, I'm just super ecstatic because um, you guys are have shown such great support on the Telegram and on Patreon. Thank you so much. This is probably the most successful thing I've ever done uh, on the internet. Like to be honest with you. Um, I've always created content and I've always done this my whole life, but I've never been, uh, how would you say, popular? <laughs> I wouldn't say like popular myself, just by whatever I created. It's never gotten this big before. So this is all new territory for me, guys. So um, yeah, just want to say thank you for that. And I really appreciate it. So now we have a total of 11 patrons. That's awesome. I really appreciate it, guys. Um, if there's anybody else out there, 
that is new to cryptocurrency, make sure you join our Telegram. I feel like that is the best way for you to pick up on everything that's going on with cryptocurrency and just regular like good people talking, you know? So do want to mention that. Check out our Telegram. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, just like this podcast doesn't cost you anything. Um, but thank you again, Val, for contributing to Thriller Podcast. I really appreciate it. All the extra money that you guys are giving me goes back into this podcast. I just recently upgraded um, a PC here and uh, actually that I got from work and um, it's pretty decked out. So I think I'm going to make that my new uh, podcasting rig. And um, so it might sound a little bit different today, but as I get the kinks worked out, um, everything will sound much better overall, much later. So th- this computer is way faster than my iMac at this point and I uh, got it for free from work. So I can't complain. It has like 32 gigs of RAM, Xeon processor, two GPUs. Um, it's all decked out, Windows 10. I mean, it's pretty awesome. The only thing I need to do is just buy some more monitors. And um, and yeah, I'm still using the same gear like what to record and stuff. But this PC that I got from work for free is definitely helping out like right now. So if today's episode sounds kind of different... Just bear with me as I get as I get better at, at tweaking this. I'm using Adobe Edition now because um, I feel like it's just uh, going to provide an overall better sound. You guys will let me know, um, but I'm going to work out the kinks this week, and then hopefully by next week we'll have something more solid and concrete. So if it sounds a little bit different today, I do apologize. Um, we're currently in the process of moving everything over, so yeah. Anyways, thanks guys so much for supporting Thriller Podcast. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Val, again, for becoming a Thriller producer. That means the world to me. It really does. So thank you. And with that, let's get into our disclaimer. Remember, Thriller Podcast does not give financial advice. He cannot tell the future, even if he thinks he can. He is just some dude trying to save the world one Satoshi at a time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, looks like we have Bitcoin. So Bitcoin right now, currently at the time that I'm recording at 1 a.m. is $10,999. I crap you not. It really is about to get to 11K again. We got Ethereum at 874 bucks. We got Ripple at $1.03. We got Bitcoin Cash at $1,345. We got Litecoin at $220. We have Cardano at $0.36. Right now, Cardano at that price, that is a great price to buy Cardano. Um, I wish I could buy some more, but I'm just throwing all my money in Bitcoin these days. Uh, But yeah, uh, I already have a shit ton of Cardano, but I really want a shit ton more. Um, Anyway, NEO at $126. We got Stellar at $0.40. So through all this, Stellar is hanging pretty tough. I mean, it went down today, but for the most part... It's at 40 cents still. That's pretty good. I also should note, I did download the Stellar Wallet. I highly recommend it. Um, they actually have, if you go to their website, Stellar, I think just Google it. It's a Stellar. 
um, it's their main site. It's the first Google result. They have a decentralized exchange that you can download from their website. It's pretty neat. I want to do a podcast on it um, because I think it's pretty neat how you can navigate through it. And you can actually trade for other cryptocurrencies with Stellar. It's pretty sweet. So go to Stellar's website. Uh, I'll try to put a link in the show notes if I remember. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I'll do it. I'll remember. Stellar, I need to put that in the show notes because I think it's pretty cool. It, it requires a Windows desktop, though, but um, it's pretty neat. I thought it was pretty neat. Um, and then we got EOS at $8.86. We got Dash at six, $684. We got IOTA at $184. We got NEM at $0.47. Cents. We got Ethereum Classic at $0.36. Cents. We got Tron. Oh, man, Tron at $0.04. Cents. Uh, so looks like it came back down a little more. We got VeChain at $6.31, up 1.75%. We got Lisk at $24. We got Bitcoin Gold at $126. We got Qtum at $28. We got OMGO at $18.57. We got Icon at $4.32, so it's up 2%. That's good. We got Zcash at $445. We got Nano at $9. We got Verge. So Verge is falling off a little bit. It's back at six and nine tenths of a cent. Um, so it's down 1%. So it was at eight. I still think over this weekend it might might pump a little bit. I don't see it going back down to four cents. Um, let's, let's hope it stays around seven, eight cents. That'd be nice. We got a Steam at $3.81. We got Bitcoin at five tenths of a cent. We got SiaCoin at two cents. We got Stratus at eight dollars and forty-five cents. We got Dogecoin coming back down to six tenths of a cent. So that went down pretty fast. Uh, we got Status at twenty cents. We got BitShares at twenty-four cents. We got Decreed at seventy-eight dollars. Wow, that's nice. We got Electronium at eight cents. Staying, staying put right there. Electronium. We got Ardor at forty-seven cents. We got KuCoin shares at $4.45, up 1%. We got Dent at $0.03. That's not bad. Uh, We got Digibyte at $0.03 as well. We have, let's see here, Dragon Chain at $1.47. Dragon Chain seems to be hanging out right there for the past few days. It's not moving anywhere. We got Polymath at $1.00. 30 right now. That's actually a really good price. Um, yeah, that's not bad. We got Nebulous at $8.64. We got Pivix. So Pivix was making a run today at six bucks. Now it's back down to five dollars and forty-six cents. Not it's not bad. It's a good privacy coin to hold, that's for sure. We got Golem at 36 cents. We got Redcoin back down to nine tenths of a cent. Thank God. I was I was getting upset yesterday because I was like, what the fuck is up with Redcoin? But no, that's good. Back to reality, Redcoin. <laughs> we got Funfair at uh, five cents, up one point four two percent. That's good. It's good to see Funfair competing still. We got Factum at twenty nine dollars. We got Power Ledger down to sixty seven cents. Wow, that just keeps going back to eighty five, coming back down, back and forth. There's money to be made right there on day trading. That's for sure on Power Ledger. We got Chainlink at seventy cents. We got Syndicator now. It's kind of up at sixteen cents. Up from 15 cents yesterday. We got salt at $4.29. We got uh, smart cash at 27 cents. We got vertcoin at $4.33. We got blocknet at $35.51. And we have our hundredth coin, Ignis, at 23 cents, up 0.13%. 
So it looks like GameCoin actually came down. So game credits went down to $2.70. Wow. And Singularity Net also went down as well underneath underneath the 100. So that's at $0.35. Cents. And DigiNote as well is down back down to $0.02. Cents. Yeah, now there's a lot of substratum. Yeah, went down too as well. A-Chain went down too as well. So a lot of these ones that we're used to seeing in the top 100 went down. Wow, look at Decentraland and Ethland. They all went down $0.10. Cents. So it looks like some of these coins... Um, are taking a hit big time. Ucash went back down to six cents. So, yeah, that went down. That was up. What was that up? I know we saw that the other day. Let's just double check that. Could have sworn that was higher than six cents. Okay, no, it was at six cents. No, it was at 12. Okay, that's what it was at. It was at 13 cents um, here recently. Here, let's go to year to date. Yeah, so it was at 13 cents. Now it's at 6 cents. And we saw it as high as 20 cents. So, yeah, that took a major pump. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Ucash went up, went as high as 20, let's see, 22 cents. And now it's back down to 6 cents. Yikes. I would stay away from that one just because it's probably not going to get back up there for a while. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting coins here at the end of 100, 150. In the very near future, we might have to start covering to at least 150 now because all the ones that we used to follow are falling back down. Crypto 20s at $2.11. Yeah. Here in the future, Einsteinium is $0.35. Cents. Yeah, there's there's some good coins to be had here in the 100 to 200 range. So maybe here in the future, we'll have to do an extended coin talk at some point. But we'll we'll, we'll, we'll rethink that later. Um, I think that's it for Coin Talk. So not too bad of a day. It started off really bad this morning. It got pretty low. Everybody started worrying. I wasn't too worried. I, I just didn't buy Bitcoin today, just because I had bought some yesterday, and I wasn't sure if it was going to go up or down. Usually, what happens, guys, and this is I tell you guys this every week. Come Friday, we're going to be right back up again. So even if it goes down tomorrow, we're going to be right back up on Friday, and then into the weekend, leading into Sunday. So that's good. I, I think I think if anything, we can get across 11K for sure. Now we'll see if we can get past 12K. I'm not so sure about that. But then again, check out our Telegram. Matthew's in there charting it up every day. So if you guys are interested to see what's going on, um, look out for his graphs and expertise because he is dropping knowledge every day. So yeah, uh, with that, let's go ahead and get into our main topic. Today, we're going to discuss Monroe. This is a currency that I had in my uh, top five privacy coins from, uh, I think it was a week ago. Um, it was my number one coin for this year. I am talking about it more today just because I want to give you guys a background of this coin. I think it's going to be a very good privacy coin to hold here in the very near future. Um, currently, right now, uh, full disclosure, I am mining Monero um, with my computer system and uh, another computer system that I have. And I, I feel like all of you guys should be doing that as well too, especially if you're just kind of like not really using your computer on a day-to-day -day basis, but just kind of have it turned on, you know? You can download Minergate, you can run you can run that software and you'll download Monero on there. Um, you can even download it from your Android phone. It'll probably kill your Android phone, so make sure to use an old one. But um, yeah, Minergate's the way to go for Monero. But I do want to give you guys that full disclosure. I am mining Monero. Um, but I do also want to say that um, ever since I picked it in the top, my number one 
privacy coin to hold this year, it has gone up. And even today, it's gone up even more. So I'm not the only one that's thinking this is going to be a big coin. It, it likely is. So with that, let's go ahead and get into our main topic. Time for today's main topic on Thriller with Car Gonzalez, only on Anchor.fm. So I have to say, Monero has a very strange birth and history. Um, it's it's probably one of the most um, not confusing. I wouldn't say weird either. I would just say very strange past. Um, this is directly from the Reddit page, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read it out to you. So, if you are going to do a large scale speculation on Monero as a major future currency, you need to do a lot of reading and draw your own conclusions. You should never invest in something you don't feel like you understand as thoroughly as you possibly can. Fortunately, Bitcoin Talk still has a creation of Monero nicely preserved for us to persuade or at our leisure. I feel like anyone who is considering owning a significant amount needs to read every post from the initial announcement and discovery of Bitcoin through the decision to fork and create BitMonero to the eventual takeover by our current devs to Monero. You will see a lot of oddities and scenic posts along the way. Just be careful and don't stare too deeply into the canyon. Even if you give a glass walkway to observe with it, it's very deep. So I'm going to read you some notable comments from that um, Bitcoin talk thread. Okay. So some interesting ones are something like this. Can someone tell me how many coins are already in existence out of the 184 billion? I don't really get it, so who mined it before? There are many references to community on Bitcoin's page. Where exactly is this community? They go on to say, So if there's 150 billion coins in circulation, then more than 80% of the total supply has been mined already. What happens when block reward drops to zero? So further on, they say, Wow, this thread has bursted during last days. I feel the whole story is getting more weird with each day. Has anybody tried figuring out anything at CryptoNote Forum? I'll be digging through it today. And then somebody says, I'm surprised someone hasn't started a clone for fair distribution and active development. Somebody else says, that's great. How well do we understand the protocol? Something being hidden for nearly two years, despite having such a fundamental advantage, seems unlikely. It almost seems like a hoax. I'm really hoping otherwise and look forward to your work. Then somebody else says, That's Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall. Also in the source, this was added. And then they go on to read 16.1.19.1.22.3. Comments on a puzzle posted on Bitcoin website, one which he would later solve in a future comment. Are you a cryptographer? If it can deliver on its promises that is the most innovative development since Bitcoin. Bitcoin has a four-year reward having, having schedule, and by the first halving, the Bitcoin economy was at least somewhat fairly developed. This one seems to be more like one year for halving, and maybe there is development in the dark web somewhere. But unless we can see some evidence of it, or people buying 100 million coins to arbitrage between the dark web and the light web, 
which would be evidence of it, turns out to be real, then we will have a situation that looks a lot like a pre-mine, perhaps unintentionally. I can see an argument for shortening the schedule relative to Bitcoin, but going to one year is probably taking it too far, by the way. It is simple to slow down the schedule, just increase the denominator and the reward formula. If you speed up the blocks to a minute, which I'm not sure is necessary, a good idea, then you need to double the denominator to keep the schedule the same. I would contribute this effort if I'm impressed with the team and vision. PM me when you have more in a place. And it goes on and on. So Adam Back is famous figure in cryptography and Bitcoin's world, and he begins in the 90s before Satoshi and looks as he knows about CryptoNote a long time ago. The question is whether there actually is a train. It is just a few people holding existing coins, but no real development of a market. There is nothing but a preeminent, which is the worst case to make you rich. So it goes on and on, and it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Um, and these are the main takeaways. So CryptoNote came out of nowhere in the beginning of 2014. That was its own cryptocurrency by way of an implementation known as Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the one that I was, I was, uh, I was mining here <laughs> uh, earlier this year. Uh, no one had any idea who created this, and the code was incredibly sharp for a new project, indicating that it had been refined for some time before that. In stark contrast to the mess that was early Bitcoin, as one poster put out, the initial excitement over Bitcoin waned as people realized that it had been mined for years and they couldn't figure out anyone who had ever heard of it before then, early 2014. In fact, approximately 80% had already been mined by the time the first altcoin enthusiasts heard of it. Some users, including Thankful for Today, proposed a fair fork of the technology, but everyone was cautious because they don't want to take a piss all over the creators of CryptoNote. It is pointed out that the creators of CryptoNote actually encourage others to create cryptocurrencies based off of it and do not claim it is a cryptocurrency in itself. It is decided to create BitMonero and a new topic for discussion of that begins. So later on, they start, they start you know, wanting to fork BitMonero um, because uh, they ignored the desires and concerns of the community. And the takeover that brought us here today is Monero. So it goes on and there's all these conspiracy theories and who is Satoshi controversy that surrounds and plagues Bitcoin. You know, some of us uh, own a lot of Monero as well, but, you know, there, but no one was shadow mining it for years before it became public knowledge. In fact, Monero is so new that there is still time for anyone to be a Monero whale. Looking at the coin prices since inception, no one can rightly complain they were late to the party at this point. In fact, many of the early adopters paid a heavier price for the coins than we do today. Monero is down off its all-time high of around $5 a coin during the initial ultra speculation that surrounded it and is now only attaining the next tier of awareness. This was all taken from about here. Let me see and make sure I get this right. About two years ago. So... It's just crazy to think that it started off as CryptoNote, then became a hybrid of Bitcoin or a fair fork of Bitcoin. Then it turned into BitMonero and then it turned into Monero that we know of today. It's pretty interesting to say the least. I'm going to play a video right now from Ricardo Spagni. Um, he's also known as uh, Fluffy Pony. <laughs> And uh, he 
is the one that um, I guess you could call him the the lead dev for Monero. He's the one that's always doing speakings about Monero. Um, so check this out. Determined, though I'm pretty sure that it does. And I think you have said at times that you are going to scam out um, playfully, at, you know, 2021 or 2022 or some such thing. Um, what do you, what do you have to say as a TLDR for the role that you play in Monero and what you would like to see as a governance plan for the future? Do you wish to be tied to Monero forever? Do you think that's what the investors want? Tell us about that. So I, a, a good piece of advice that I, I was once told about, um, and then it's not an uncommon piece of advice, but a good piece of advice I was once told about a startup is that your aim in starting a company should always be to work yourself out of a job. You know, like to get the company to a point where it, it's earning enough money that you can hire a CEO who's more competent than you. And I think, like, I'm, I'm not going to make any pretenses. I'm not the most competent dev. I'm not the most competent maintainer. I'm not the most competent anything. There are people that are more competent than me. But, I mean, in Monero's youth, then there was a very, very great need for people like me to fill multiple roles. You know, I was merging pull requests whilst I was traveling to talk at conferences. I mean, that was just one of those things. Now there's a, a massive community filled with people that can do all sorts of things um, uh, without me needing to do them. And there's this one part of me that like wants to make sure that things are done properly, you know, air quotes, because I have this idea of how things should be done. Um, and I think that, that part of the reason why the community exists is because we all share similar ideals for how things should be done, uh, at least for some of the stuff. But at the same time, like, like I'm trying to work myself out of a job, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like make sure that I have less and less of an active role. Um, and instead of passing the baton to one person, the batons are getting cut into small pieces and passed out to many people. Um, so just recently, a couple of months ago, I stepped back as the lead maintainer on the Monero GUI and on the Monero website. And uh, uh, Luigi1111 took over as maintain lead maintainer on both of those. I still have commit access. I can still merge pull requests if something happens to him or if he's not around. But, you know, like he's that's his baby. I don't need to do anything on that except releases. Um, and so, the, you know, this is an ongoing process. There's going to be more and more of this happening. I, I think that eventually, like, I want to just be like Fluffy Pony, the dude that, you know, used to be the lead maintainer of Monero. I mean, the, what's the point in being community, in claiming to be community driven and then still trying to centralize around individuals? Yeah, and I have to say, Ricardo is very virtuous. Um, he he has the right mindset for Monero, and he definitely leads by example. And uh, everything that he says is to the true core of Monero. Um, there's really no one else like him inside of the crypto space right now that I can think of that has this overall, you know, decentralized privacy, you know, initiative and um, all out don't give two fucks kind of uh, way about them. And he's very much that person. Um, this is one of the things that attracted to me, um, uh, attracted me to Monero was at first uh, until I started learning more about what it could offer. Um, and that's with privacy. So check this out. And with Monero, we're trying to 
take that back. Um, and we're trying to achieve true financial privacy or at least a solid amount of financial privacy. I'm not going to like dwell on Monero's cryptography too deeply because otherwise you're all, all going to fall asleep. But what I do want to talk about is the four things we're doing to enhance financial privacy in a cryptocurrency that is similar to Bitcoin but not based on Bitcoin's code at all. The first thing is we have stealth addresses and uh, that means that we're able to hide where transactions are going to. We then have this cool thing called ring signatures which means we can hide where, tra where transactions are coming from. Then we have this thing called ring confidential transactions that allows us to cryptographically hide transaction values so you don't know the amount of a transaction. And lastly, we use, uh, well, we have our own implementation um, of ITP, an ITP router, which we're using to hide the source IP address um, that first broadcasts a transaction. If you had to look at a Monero transaction on a blockchain, the way we make things cryptographically unlinkable, so you don't know where they're going to, is instead of like Bitcoin where you can look at it on a blockchain and see, oh, it's going to an address, we have this cool stealth address thing, and they all seem to go to these like random numbers or random addresses. And so that means that if you look at it on a, on a block explorer, you can't see which of these outputs, the red ones, are going to a recipient and the gray ones that are coming back to me because they all just seem to go to some random destination. Similarly, we have this cool thing called a ring signature. And what that does is we go and pick random outputs on the blockchain and we form this ring signature that appears to spend all of those outputs simultaneously, but it's actually only spending one of them. Um, and we use this cool thing called a key image to make sure that the true signature, the one that is really ours, um, uh, is sort of got a hash of it so that we can't double spend an output. Now the cool thing about this is that this ring signature that we create or that a Monero user creates can be done completely offline with a copy of the blockchain. It requires no input or assistance from any of the people that own those outputs uh, and it can be done uh, in a way that is trustless, which of course is the thing that we want. Um, we then have this thing called Ring CT, which is based on Greg Maxwell's confidential transactions and it uses this cool thing called commitments and I'm so not going to get into commitments and how that works, but basically what ends up happening is instead of putting an amount, you pay a commitment as a value um, and then we have this cool thing uh, called uh, a ring CT ring signature which signs the difference between commitments and magically you just can't see the amount on the input either. And so ultimately what you end up with if you look at a blockchain um, or if you look at a block explorer rather is you can't see where transactions come from. They appear to come from any number of old transactions, old and new. You can't see where the transactions are going to or who they're paying and you can't see the amounts that are being spent. And that alone is pretty powerful. And that's currently live. That's, is, that's something you can use today with Monero. But what we're doing next is to close this other little privacy gap and that's the fact that when you run your own node and you broadcast a transaction, there can be bad nodes on the network that can log that. And those bad nodes can go, ah, all right, I know that that transaction first came from my, well, from Ricardo's node because that's the IP address that I first saw it from. And this is happening right now with Bitcoin. There are horribly, terribly bad civil attacks um, and, and login nodes that, are, that exist purely to track this stuff. So with I2P, which is a, a hidden um, internet service like Tor, uh, we have a second layer and we're building this out still. We have a second layer that will exist on top of the existing network. And that means that when transactions are broadcast, they'll go over that layer. Just transactions, not blocks. 
And ultimately what this means is that those logging nodes can only go well the first thing I saw it from was this random ITP address which is largely meaningless. Now that defends against passive surveillance. Now privacy in a financial system and in most decentralized systems is pointless unless it is mandatory. And the reason for that is let's imagine we have a digital currency with 100,000 users. And within this digital currency we have a magical cloud of privacy. And it's super magical. Like you put stuff in and it just, you can't tell anything about it. The problem is that we only have a thousand users. And that means when we move funds in and out of the magical cloud of privacy, our anonymity set is reduced to just those 1,000 users at best. It's probably a lot less because of all the leakage that happens when you move in and out. So a lack of mandatory privacy is pointless. And that's what one of the things that we've been working so hard with Monero is to make sure that every single one of these privacy enhancements is mandatory. There's no way to opt out, at least not on any sort of massive scale. You can, you know, reveal your transactions to the world if you really wanted to, but you're not really going to compromise anyone else's OPSEC except yours. When it comes to evaluating privacy technology, and this by and large goes for a lot of things, not just privacy enhancing technologies, but decentralized security software like Bitcoin, like Monero, like a lot of other cryptocurrencies today, ideology is as important as the technology behind it. And if we take a look at Monero's ideology, Monero is an open source project, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about Monero's birth in a second, but Monero contributors, when they start contributing to Monero as developers, they are aware, we are aware, that our code will definitely be responsible for securing people's money. If we screw up, somebody's going to lose their lunch. The other thing is, we're pretty sure, and we know that, despite me telling people not to buy Monero, <laughs> a whole bunch of people apparently largely ignore that, and so our code might be required to s protect someone's life savings. They're going to go put their 401k in, and, you know, again, if we screw up, well, we're going to have some very angry people. But more importantly, we also know that our code might be responsible for keeping someone out of prison. They might do something that we don't object to that we think is completely fine, and next minute, because they use Monero, <laughs> the stuff that we do is responsible for them either going to jail or not. And perhaps most importantly, we're aware that the code we write might be the difference between life or death for someone. They might be in a country where you know, they buy a Bible, and that's something that we might not find morally objectionable. Maybe we do, but in general, I think people don't. And, and, but their government find it, might find it morally objectionable, and next minute, it's literally the difference between life or death for them because they use Monero. And that is a heavy, heavy responsibility. It means that we need to be careful and, and absolutely, absolutely sure about the things we do. And you have to ask yourself, with all of these projects, with any privacy enhancing project, if it treats its work as, with less care than Monero, and not that Monero is some sort of baseline, but definitely if it treats, it treats it with less care than Monero, that is utterly irresponsible and unconscionable, and really it's indistinguishable from a scam. And this is crucial because this is the sort of stuff we need to speak out about because people are relying on these systems on a day-to-day -day basis, not only to secure their money, but to secure their privacy. And if we're not talking about it, if we're too afraid to talk about it because we think it's bad form or because, oh, it's an open source project and we can't insult them, that's only going to backfire and end up hurting some poor innocent person who thinks that the thing they're using is utterly private and fantastic. 
Yeah. So what he says there just speaks a lot to what we always talk about here on this podcast is um, looking at some of these cryptos, looking at some of these coins and actually taking an honest look at them and not looking at it just for you know money's sake. And um, I really appreciate his fresh look on that. Um, there's not too many people that think like that, especially a person who is a lead developer in um, you know one of the top 15 coins uh, here in the coin market cap. So I, I think I think Monero long term is a great hold. I also think, you know, just using it, you know, to to hide how much Bitcoin you have or to um, to store, like you said, to store your your all your crypto winnings or your crypto, um, you know, different kind of sock drawers that you have online of different types of crypto and converting it over to Monero is not a bad idea. Um, yeah. I'm just really bullish on it. That there is one thing, though, that uh, he does touch on and he doesn't shy away from it, which I have even more respect for him. And that's the malware that we see that uh, is all over the Internet that is, um, you know, just hacked Tesla the other or last week or actually seven months ago. um, And they reported it today. But, you know, there's this um, these Monero mining bots that that get taken over, you know, on all these different cloud servers. And uh, he talks about why that is, and he talks about what it is, what it does to Monero. And so check this out. The, the whole sort of like, the fact that, that Monero could still be mined with CPUs, and that we've generally taken a, a mostly, I don't want to say anti-ASIC stance, because I don't, think we, we, I don't think we can really prevent ASICs from existing surreptitiously. But if we know that ASICs exist, then we will definitely change, either either entirely change the proof-of-work algorithm or tweak the proof-of-work algorithm to break the ASIC. So, you know, heads up to anyone working on an ASIC. We will break your ASIC. Um, but, I mean, like that's not really a, an, an overt stance we've taken where we've gone, like, out publicly and said we are anti-ASIC. Um, but we appreciate, as a community, the fact that Monero can still be mined with CPUs and, and GPUs. And this has led to a bunch of interesting consequences. Monero is kind of the go-to with uh, crypto jacking, you know, where like a website mines uh, Monero illegitimately. Um, and it's also been the go-to for botnets that, that are mining. Um, and a lot of people view this as bad. And obviously, as a community, we don't condone malware. We don't condone stealing somebody's CPU cycles. However, if it's happening, I mean, if a botnet is mining, we can't stop it. We have no way of preventing that, um, you know, if, they're, if they have their own mining pool or their solo mining or whatever. Um, and as long as they're following the rules, well, they're supporting the network. And so, so we have this weird knock-on effect where um, the network is... At any given point in time, like 20% to 30% of the, the mining network is like botnets and crypto jacking. And that means that miners have less, individual miners and individual mining pools have less power. Because even if the pools all had to come together and say, we hate Fluffy Pony, we hate the orange in the Monero logo, and so we're no longer mining, we're going to go mine Ethereum. They could do that, and we would still be mined by botnets and crypto jacking. So it's kind of like, you know, we don't even need ideological uh, miners to support 
because we already have a bunch of criminals supporting Monero. Um, it's you know it, it it sucks to have to say that, but it's the reality, and and that changes the dynamic because it means that miners have less power. You know, it, it's it's like they have power. Obviously, they to some degree they're part of the balance of power, but they don't have an overt amount of power. They don't have the ability to vote on anything. Their only role is to support the network, to secure the network, and for that they're paid. They're given money. They are, they, their role does not extend beyond that. They are not. If they want to come and participate in decision making, come be a developer. Come be part of the community discussion on Reddit. But as a miner, if you're just mining, you are not part of the decision making process. Yeah, and that's that's a perfectly great explanation uh, for everything that he just said there. Um, me, I personally mine Monero, but I mine it because I want to support the community and I want to make some money at the same time. Just like he said, um, I purchased some Monero, not a lot, some, but uh, that's because I want to. I'm a practitioner. I, I want to try out these things. I don't want to just read the news every day and read the coin market cap and then watch YouTube videos and just do that. No, no, I want to participate. I want to see, I want to feel the coin, you know, going through the interwebs and coming back out. You know, I want to participate. I want to be a practitioner with this type of technology. I want to understand it. I want to use it on a daily basis. I want to understand it more. And so I participate to understand it more. And Monero is one of those, um, cryptos that I want to understand more. So I'm going to start using it. Um, just like this past weekend when I was messing with the Stellar stuff, it's all just about, you know, being a practitioner for things. And cryptocurrency requires, you know, you know that, that, that thing with it as well, especially if you're going to be teaching, you know, thousands of other people about it. So I'm just doing my due diligence on that part. But like I said, to get back to Monero, I really think this is, this has potential to be a very interesting coin in the very coming years. It it could either go one or two ways. It could either blow up, you know, in Ricardo's face, um, where you know the the as they say the snake eats its own tail kind of thing with the community, or it could keep developing the way it is and it could become one of the best communities in crypto. I think if you go take a look at the Reddit community, there they're very helpful. They're very much um, what you would call. Um, uh, true north kind of people there where they see the overall mission for Monero um, privacy wise and they all tend to um, agree on the same things um, for the most part but I, I will say uh, the last thing I'll say about Monero is that um, I like what it stands for I really do like what it stands for I like how Ricardo talks about the coin I like how he talks about the crypto I like I like how upfront and uh, very, very um, to the to the point he is with things. He doesn't shy away from questions just because he's afraid uh, to tell you the answer. He's he's upfront, which I appreciate. Um, so with that, I think that's pretty much our our whole thing that we're going to cover with Monero today. I try to do my best to get you guys an overall good idea of where it is. We will definitely do another Monero episode here later this year i'm sure so be on the lookout for that and i'll definitely update update you guys on monero but this is just a little bit of a taste to get you to understand what this coin is all about and why i chose it to be the uh, number one privacy coin for thriller podcast in 2018
So with that, let's get on to the end of the show. say that as we get towards the end of what everybody is calling the final crash for cryptocurrency you always hear that all the time it pisses me off and they always ask can we make it past cryptocurrency and into the blockchain do we need cryptocurrency to live in order for the blockchain to survive i think we need both i think there's an incentive for it that's why i always say buy bitcoin save the world this is the end of the show Now go do your own research. Listen to other dudes that start their name.